God is neither surprised nor offended by our concerns. In this series, Pastor, I've Got a Question, we're going to tackle some of the most frequently asked questions about faith, life, and the world around us. Well, good morning. Oh. oh, wow. Oh, you're so sweet. All right, y'all, I got to fit this in a time frame. Ben's going to be watching at some point. I don't know, he's going to sneak a peek at this somehow while he's preaching in, in Griffin. And anyway, thank you guys. Very sweet. Um, I want to thank you for being a part of today's worship experience here in person. It's so good to see you this morning. For those of you that are joining us online, thank you for making today a priority in your worship experience. Um, we're continuing in week eight of a nine-week series called Pastor, I've Got a Question. And it's a series that was prompted by questions that Pastor Ben and I have received and have been asked as pastors. Questions like, can we go too far with this grace thing? Or I've never felt more discouraged. What do I do? Or how do I overcome sin in my life? Or is God judging America? Or will I lose God's forgiveness if I mess up? And last week, Pastor Ben covered what happens to believers who commit suicide. If you've missed any of this series, I encourage you to download the app or visit our website, calvarychurch.cc. Today's question is a difficult one. It's, um, it was posed, it says, Pastor, after the death of my baby girl, a family member told me that God took her. Should I believe that? Did God take my baby? We all experience loss in one way or another at some point in our lives. In fact, I hate to rain on your parade today, but it's inevitable that you'll experience many, many types of losses over the span of a lifetime. And then we lose our youthfulness, no amount of plastic surgery, no amount of cosmetics, no amount of exercise, good diet can stop the process of growing older. I wish it could, but it can't. We lose our dreams. That career is never realized. Our marriage crumbles. Relationships are severed. Life just looks completely different from anything that we dreamt that it would. We lose our routines or our stability in life transitions. Each time that we change jobs or we immigrate to a new country or maybe we just simply move. We experience loss. As we transition seasons of our lives, our children grow more independent, right? And our influence and power in their lives decreases. We don't really consider that, but that's a loss. Our parents age, and we become their caretakers, and we lose some of our daily freedoms. That's a loss. Most of us will experience a catastrophic loss at some point, unexpectedly a family member dies. Talk to those families this week who lost a, a, a daughter or a son or a husband or a wife or a mother or a father, those service members in Afghanistan. Or what about those families right this very minute in Louisiana? that are bracing for a physical storm. We pray that there's no loss of life, but they're gonna lose property, probably. And we're gonna pray for them at the conclusion of our service today. What about a spouse that has an affair and you find yourself grieving not only the person that you've lost, but the marriage unit as a whole? Your life looks completely different. 
or you're diagnosed with an illness and you lose your health, or after years with your company, you get laid off. And you find yourself grieving the security and the lifestyle that your job has provided for years and years. And your finances, you take a hit and, and you lose your home. Or maybe a child is born with a severe handicap or a loyal friend betrays you or you experience infertility or abuse or memory loss. All of these things add up to all different types of losses. Well, I think one of the most painful and unnatural losses is that of losing a baby or a child. And today, as we continue in our series, we're going to address the most difficult question that's been asked. My baby died and I was told God took her. Does God take our children? Before I proceed, I want to say a couple of things. First, if you're sitting here today and you're experiencing this type of loss or you've experienced this type of loss, I want to say how deeply, deeply sorry that I am. No parent, no parent should ever outlive their children. I am so sorry. Second, I want to say that you may have heard many statements or comments which were probably said in complete ignorant innocence. And while those comments were ignorant in nature, it does not lessen the pain that it inflicted on you. And for that, I'm also deeply sorry. Oftentimes when people don't know what to say, they feel the need to come up with some asinine filler statements. Statements that start with God needed or at least are never good statements. Statements such as, I must have needed another angel in heaven or another flower for his garden. Or at least you, you can try for another one. Or at least you, you have two or three other children. Or at least your baby is in heaven. While that last statement might be very, very true, let me just say, in that moment of deep, deep pain, No parent wants their child in heaven more than in their arms. If you have been the one to say those comments, I'm not saying what I'm saying right now to heap condemnation. I am saying for future, don't say that. If you don't know what to say, simply say, I'm so sorry for your loss. When we die, we don't become angels. And we surely don't become flowers. And even if we did, no parent, no parent wants to offer up their priceless child. And if I may be so bold, if those statements were really that true, you offer up your kids. Because I want mine right here with me. So do you understand how some of those cliche comments that we think are so comforting, are, they're not. One of the most damaging comments that I've heard handed out with comforting intentions is where today's question stems from. And that is, the Lord gives and takes away. We've heard it said, right? Well, the Lord, he, he gives and he takes away. And today we're going to look at one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible. And if you would, go with me to the book of Job, chapter 1. Job understood loss. 
In fact, he was very well acquainted with it. He lost nearly everything that he had in one day. He lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. Who was Job? Job was the Jeff Bezos of his day. In the Bible, it tells us that his wealth was absolutely mind-blowing. It was staggering. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and camels were a prestigious status symbol of the day. He had 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a large staff of employees. If Job were alive today, his face would be on the cover of Forbes magazine, and his possessions would be equivalent to a fleet of Rolls Royces, private jets. He would have yachts, thriving businesses, impressive real estate investments. The dude had bank. According to Job 1.3, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And in addition to his wealth, according to Job 2.3, he was an upright man who tried to honor God in all of his endeavors and steer clear of evil. Okay, so not only was he a wealthy guy, but he was an upright guy. Kind of was the whole package. And yet suddenly in one day, all the forces of earth come against him. Enemies invaded and, and captured his livestock, slaughtered his staff, while simultaneously on another front, massive storms full of lightning and tornadoes destroyed his remaining livestock, his remaining property, and worst of all, kill his children. His children were gathered at one of his kids' homes. They're all having a family dinner, and a storm goes through and demolishes the home where all of his children were eating. In one day, wiped out everything he has. And then shortly thereafter, insult would add, was added to injury when his health was attacked and he's covered with agonizing boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I mean, what else? What else? So what's Job's response? Look at verse 21 of Job chapter 1. Job 1, 21 he said, here's what Job says. Here's how Job responds to everything that is happening to him. I was born with nothing, and I will die with nothing. The Lord gave, and now he is taken away. May his name be praised. There you have it. If there was ever a scripture that's led to some jacked up notions about God's character... It's this one. And yet many of you might be sitting here thinking, well, what's wrong with his response? I mean, seriously. What's wrong? And let me just say this. I appreciate Job's attitude in the face of some unimaginable pain and loss. I appreciate the commitment that he makes to praise the name of the Lord regardless of what he may be facing in life, come hell or high water, whether on the mountaintop of mountaintops or in the deep, dark valley. But Job got it wrong. Job missed it. He got it so wrong, in fact, that later on, and we're going to look at this, but later on, he comes to regret his choice of words. And he says in Job 42.3, okay, we're looking at verse or chapter 1 right now, but later on in chapter 42, 42 chapters later, 42 verse 3, Job goes on to say, I spoke of things that I did not understand. That's key. We're going to come back to that. Anyone who's suffered loss has probably heard the verse he gives and takes away. At some point, you'll probably hear that if you haven't already. It's, it's quoted at funerals. We sing it at song. We sing songs about it in our churches. We don't sing it here. But if you've ever gone to any other church, you probably heard it. It's actually a beautiful song. Until you get to this one part. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Lord, blessed be your name. 
And for some strange reason, people seem to find comfort in believing that God's as responsible for their loss as he is for their blessing. That he gives, but then he, ta he, he takes back those gifts. And if you ask me, I don't think that that's comforting at all. To me, I think that's, that's sick. I think that that's cruel. And personally, I think it's terrifying. I do not think that that's an accurate portrayal of God's nature at all. So, does God give and then take away? Specifically in light of today's question, does God give us children and then take them away? So we're going to go on a little journey today. To get a good understanding of God's character, we need to look at Jesus, not Job. Sadly, many have more faith in Job than they do Jesus. Let me pose a question. Can you imagine Jesus stealing and killing? Can you? I don't think so. How is it that some people think that God was responsible for Job's losses? And I'm sure the response would be, well, it's in the Bible. It's right there in black and white. So I'm going to pose it another way. If you want the best insight into God's character, are you better off looking at A, Jesus, who said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, that's according to John 14, 9, or B, Job, who had only heard of God but didn't actually know him. And you can look at Job 42, verse 5. I think that Jesus is the better choice. I think that Jesus came to reveal God the giver. Because remember, he said, I came to reveal the Father. Have you been given something good? If you have, then you've got to see God as your source. And you can check these two verses out. James 1, 17. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from God. They're his reward. So we've established that God's the one who gives us gifts, and children are a gift of God. When you suffer loss, the temptation, the temptation may be to blame God for your losses if God had a change of heart. But God isn't fickle. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's an extraordinary giver. And he never takes back his gifts. He just doesn't. How do I know? Because Romans 29 says, God never changes his mind about the people he calls, and he never decides to take back the blessings he's given them. He never changes his mind about the blessings that he's given them. So if God's doing the giving, who's doing the taking? Again, Jesus provides the answer. John 10.10 10 says, the thief... The thief comes to steal. The thief comes to kill. The thief comes to destroy. But I, Jesus, came to give life, life that's full, life that's good. One is a giver, God the Father. The other is a taker. That's the devil or our enemy. If you've been given something good, give thanks to God. But if you've been robbed, don't blame God. He isn't behind your loss. It's not God who's taking, it's the enemy who's taking. As an earthly parent, I want you to imagine something for me, okay? Imagine Christmas morning. There I am. I'm giving my children a full spread of gifts. We do this every year, right? We rack up all the gifts on our credit cards that we spend months trying to pay off, right? Because why? Because we want to bless our kids. So there I am. I've got all the gifts under the tree. I give my kids all these gifts, right? They open their gifts up. They spend weeks and weeks doting over their gifts. They've cared for their gifts. They love their gifts, right? And there I am as a parent. I'm so excited. I've given them the best on their list. 
They've wanted these gifts. They've, I, I've asked for their Christmas list. What do you want? I mean, tell me what you, what do you want? And I am so excited to watch them open the very things that they have waited for. And then a few weeks go by. And what do I do? I go and I find their gifts, and I rip them out of their arms. I take them all. That's abusive. That's sick. What good parent does that? What good parent would do that? Matthew 7:11 puts it like this: If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give you wonderful gifts to those who ask him? If you, an imperfect earthly parent, wouldn't rip gifts out of your own kids' hands, how much better is our heavenly Father, who's perfect in all his ways? Humans are spectacularly slow learners. From beginning of human history, the devil's been trying to steal and ruin everything that God's given us. And yet there are still some people who think that God is the thief. God gave us the authority over the planet, and who took it? God? No, the devil. God gave us the freedom, and the devil somehow got us to choose bondage. God gave us eternal life and health and glory, and we lost it all. But thank God for Jesus, who what? Who came to restore back to us what the devil stole. God's nature is that of a generous giver. But if you're just dead set on blaming God for taking something away, you definitely can blame him for taking something away. You can blame him for taking away your sin. You can blame him for taking away your shame. You can blame him for taking your sickness. I mean, if you have got to find something to blame God for taking, you can blame him for taking away your fears, your despair, your depression, your deep ache, your suffocating grief. Go ahead, be my guest. If you want to blame God for taking something away, blame him for that. Because he takes away the things that harm us. And in turn, he gives us the things that bless us and tenderly walks with us to help us navigate both the mountaintops and the deep, dark valleys. As the story of Job continues, we're introduced to some comfortless characters. His friends and family members were ignorant, they were fair weather, they were evil, and they gave Job some terrible, horrible advice when the, when the enemy robbed Job of the gifts that God had given him. Job had some really dysfunctional people in his life. And similarly, there was <clears throat> another guy in the Bible who was also robbed. King David also had invaders come in and take things from him and the men that surrounded him, steal his possessions, rob them of their children. But both David and Job were greatly distressed. They were both surrounded by foolish people who gave bad advice, but the difference with David, unlike Job, David didn't credit his valley of death to God. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 says that God encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In his pain, David considered God's goodness, and he realized that God was not behind his loss. He understood that it wasn't God's will for him to suffer, and so he, he was strengthened, he fought back, and he prevailed. David was like, I'm not going to just lay down and die. I'm not going to just allow the enemy to come in here and steal all my stuff and say, okay, well, okay, whatever. I wish I could go back in time and get to Job before all his jacked up friends and family did. I'd go to Job and I'd say, God did not kill your children. God did not slaughter your livestock. He did not steal your stuff. You've been robbed. It's the enemy who is robbing you. Job, it's the enemy. It's not God. It's not God who's behind this. It's the enemy who's behind this. Don't sit there in ashes and blame God. 
Get up. Go ahead, grieve. Go ahead, process. Go ahead, heal. But don't lay down and just give up. Get up and fight. Get up, Job, and fight. Get up, Job, and fight. Get up, church, and fight. Get up, church, and fight. Stop blaming God. It wasn't God. It's the enemy that's doing this to you. Get up and fight. The church will never, ever, not ever see victory if we think that it's God who is behind our suffering. If we think God's paying us back for something that we deserve by taking away all of the many blessings in our life, taking away our children or trying to teach us a lesson by striking us with an illness. I mean, what in the world are we saying? What are we saying? I can't even fathom as a mom making my own kids sick and then saying, ah, I hope you learned a lesson. I mean, you deserve to learn a lesson from this. It's not going to make you sick. What in the world? That makes no sense. Do I believe that God never wastes a season? A hundred percent. I have been sick. I have had things robbed and taken. And I have learned massive lessons. Because God never wastes a season. But God was not the one that struck me with an illness. And God was never the one that robbed anything from me. But God absolutely turned every situation around so that I came out of it better, stronger, more appreciative. He never wastes a season, but he's never to blame. Never, not ever. But we'll never fight back when the enemy attacks us if we believe that it's God doing the attacking. Why? Because if we think it's the God, that it's God doing the attacking, God doing the robbing, we won't resist. Why? Because if we think it's God of the universe, well, who are we to resist God of the universe? Right? So we'll just let the devil walk right in and plunder our families all the while singing, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name, because he gives and takes away. Asinine. Ridiculous. We think God is some schizophrenic God who can't make up his mind. What are we thinking? It makes no sense. Instead, Jesus came to show us that our Heavenly Father doesn't lavish us with good gifts, only to rip, him, rip those gifts away from us, out of our arms. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves to pour out blessings on you, too numerous to contain. He wants to give you so many good things that you can't literally even contain them. Why would he then sit there and go, ha, huh, I'm just kidding, I'm going to take them all from you. And he loves your children so much, so much, so much more than even you do. Sadly, another passage in Job that's been misinterpreted and done serious, serious damage by believers who flippantly toss it around is Job 1.8. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm telling you, for years, people would throw this back at me. Well, what about Job 1.8? Explain that one to me. And for years, I couldn't. And I am no theologian, and I am the first one to admit it. And there are a lot of things that I'll just sit there and go, there are things that I don't understand. And at the end of the day, all I know is that it just doesn't line up with God's nature. So I can't explain it. I just have to have faith and believe that that doesn't line up with God's nature, and that's all I need to know. And so I'm going to read you this verse, and I'm going to read it to you the way that I guarantee you've read it, and I guarantee the way you've heard it said and taught, and it's wrong. And I'm going to be called a heretic and a blasphemer and be my guest, but I'm going to prove to you that it's wrong. So listen to how I'm reading it. Listen to the words. Job 1.8. Then the Lord said to Satan, the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. He's blameless and upright. He's a man who fears God and shuns, e shuns evil. Hey, hey, Satan. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? Am I right? Have we heard that verse, right? Hey, Satan, what about Job? You wanna, hey, you want to go attack Job? Hey, Satan, what about him? Have you thought about him? Hey, why don't you go ruin him? Hey, Satan, come on. I know you haven't thought about Job. You want to go kill his family? Want to go make him sick? Want to go? Have we not heard this argument? Am I the only one here who has heard this argument? Right? And yet, how do we explain this? Many use this verse to prove that God's the one that actually comes up with the idea of ruining Job's life. Again, reiterating that God's the one, not the devil, who prowls around like the roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That God's the one who slithers up to Satan. We get it backwards. Wringing his hands and shifty little eyes, making a deal in some dark corner with a hitman. And this passage has been woefully translated. Understand this. Get this. It's been woefully translated from its original text. If we were to look at it from a word-for-word -word translation, I am not saying the Bible is wrong. Hear what I am saying. There are lots of translations that through translations and translations and translations lose the accuracy through the translations. That in the original text, the meaning is lost. If we were to look at it word for word, such as the Green's literal translation, we see a vast difference in context. I'm gonna read it again from the Green's literal translation, a word for word literal translation. Job 1.8. And Jehovah the Lord said to Satan, have you set my heart, I'm sorry, have you set your heart on my servant Job because there's none like him in the earth? A perfect and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil? Do you see the difference? In other words, the enemy was already on the hunt for someone to attack as he always is. And he had Job in his crosshairs already. And then the Lord basically says, Satan, why are you gunning for Job? Is it because he's a good guy? Is it because he won't fall for your evil schemes? Do you see the difference? The Lord wasn't sitting here going, hey, dude, hey, hey, Satan, come over here. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's saying, why are you considering him? Is it because he's not going to fall for your evil schemes? Is it because he's, you're not going to take him out? You see, God isn't setting Job up at all. He's letting Satan know that he's on to him. It's like he's saying, I'm watching you, Satan. The Lord isn't unaware of the, devil, of, of the devil's schemes. And if I had time, which there's no way I can do this in, in this short time, but as the conversation continues, the enemy actually tries his best to twist and scheme because that's what he does. And not only did Satan want to hurt Job, he actually, if, it, if, if I had the time, goes on to try to twist the Lord's arm into having the Lord be the one to hurt Job. Job 1.11, Satan says to the Lord, hey, how about you stretch your hand out, strike everything that he has, and surely... He'll curse you to his face. And you know what? The church has believed that lie for generations. That it was the Lord that struck Job. It wasn't. This exchange between the Lord and the enemy has been so poorly translated, so poorly interpreted that believers for years have formed an image of God the Father as a mafia boss who hires hitmen to do his dirty work. 
And the story of Job isn't about how the devil tricked God into ruining a man for no reason. It's a story of how God is able to take the very worst that life throws at him. Even afflictions thrown at us by the devil himself and turns them around for our good and for God's glory. It's a reminder that it isn't the Lord who steals, who kills, who destroys. It's a story of grace and redemption that ultimately points us back to Jesus. It's a reminder that while we do engage our authority as believers, that we do live in a broken, broken world where horrific circumstances do take place at times. But in those times, it's God who is with us through it all, and he does restore back to us everything the enemy steals. And you may find yourself today like Job or like David in a place where you have been robbed. And many today, maybe you're dealing with that deep and devastating loss of a child. I want to encourage you today, do not listen to the words of those friends and family members like Job, who blame God for the, for the loss. Instead, I want you to listen to David's words, words like Psalm 23, verses 4 and 6. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because you're close beside me. This was written in the Old Covenant. We are now new covenant believers. He's not just beside me walking. He's in me walking. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I'll live in the house forever. You know what I love about this passage? Your rod and your staff protect me. That rod was used to knock the enemy away from flocks. He will protect you from the enemy. And the staff had a, it's that hook. We've seen the staff that shepherds use with that hook on the end. It was to grab sheep that would wander off. So we're stupid sometimes. We just wander off thinking we know what's best. And he'll use that, that hook to grab us right before we fall off the deep end. He's sweet like that. Or later in Psalm 34, 18, when David said, if your heart is broken... Mom, Dad, if your heart's broken over a miscarriage, you just don't understand. Or the loss of a child and you don't have answers. You'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, He'll help you catch your breath, literally. He'll be your breath when you can't breathe, when it's suffocating. When the wind has been knocked out of you, he'll be your breath. Or listen to Paul who said in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. In just a moment, I want to pray for two groups of people. First, I want to pray for those who are grieving the loss of a child. In the second group, I want to pray for those who are just navigating any kind of loss, the loss of a marriage. Or health, or any type of relationship or lifestyle that you've lost, season of life. But before I pray, what can we do to navigate loss? And I know, honestly, I have nothing new under the sun to share. But I would like to encourage you from God's word. Navigating loss is not easy. It's never easy. And as Pastor Ben pointed out last week, if it's not dealt with in a healthy way, it can lead to just some mental and emotional illness. And I don't say that in a crazy way. I just mean... It can take a toll. It can be unhealthy. 
Oftentimes we can live in denial or just minimize our pain, and that's not healthy. And we can blame others for the loss that we experience, and we can even blame ourselves. We can blame God, like Job. We can allow loss to swallow us up completely, never moving through the stages of grief. Grief is, is healthy until we get stuck in it. We've got to move through the stages. While Job may not have gotten it all right, or he said some things that were wrong, his journey through grief led him to new beginnings that I think that we can learn from. As we just kind of navigate our own journeys of grief. So three things that I think will help us. <clears throat> I encourage you to take your app out or just jot these things down. Number one, pay attention and process. Pay attention and process. Job was not afraid to grieve. He was attentive to his emotions and he leaned in and he leaned in hard. I think our culture does a really bad job at grieving. There's some cultures in the world that, dude, they will just rip their clothes off and sit in sackcloth and put ashes on their heads and wail. And we look at that and sometimes think they're weird because we like to have everything packaged nicely and go to a funeral and be dignified. I think there's something healthy about letting it out. When the enemy has taken precious gifts from you, it is normal and it is expected to process through emotions like anger and sadness. If the enemy steals something from me, you better believe I'm going to be angry about it. I'm going to be sad to lose something precious. Emotions are natural and they're actually given to us by God to help us process through life's circumstances. We were created in God's image. We are emotional beings. We accept laughter and joy, but we frown on sadness and grief and mourning and crying. I dread getting up preaching these messages. Ben gets the good ones. He gets to shout and run and take a shoe and throw it and get you all to shout and beat the chairs. And I get up here and cry and have to pause and hold it together. And if you knew what I was saying in my head, in the pause, it's not good. <laughs> but whatever I have to do to get through the pause. But we look down on crying. But God made all of our emotions. But the key is for us to have emotions without our emotions having us. We shouldn't pretend that we aren't feeling emotions, right? When we do that, we just create blind spots for those emotions to be hidden and not processed. And the best thing that we can do is acknowledge those emotions and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us through the situation in a healthy way. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there is a time to weep. There's time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. So Ben gets the dancing times and I get the mourning times. So let's take time to explore those emotions and recognize the power of the seasons of process. Because like I said, God never, ever wastes a season. Number two, write it down. Wait in the confusing in-betweens. Let's just be honest, please. None of us likes to wait especially when we don't have the answers. It's uncomfortable because we don't like to feel out of control. Grief consists of a great deal of confusing in-between spaces. We just want to hurry up and get there. We don't want to be in this weird, limbo, yucky time. Job found himself in that in-between while his friends kept quoting scripture to him especially in areas that they did not understand. And in doing so, they tortured Job, who was already in a great deal of pain. You know, we don't always have the answers, and that's okay. There's nothing worse than being in a season where you don't understand. And then you have these jokers come along talking out of places 
out of their backsides about stuff they don't get. And the worst is when they use scripture. Because scripture, when used correctly, is like a scalpel that brings healing. But when it's not used correctly, it's like a dagger. And as dysfunctional, jacked up friends and family members used scripture to be all pious and tortured him, it was painful. We don't always have the answers. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, there are just some things that the Lord our God has kept secret. Only he knows these things. You know, the Bible says that he collects our tears in a bottle. They are just something so precious to him that he keeps them. And he keeps them close to his heart. And in seasons where I don't have the answers, what's kept me and comforted me, you know, I tell people a lot of things, but there are some things that are just so sweet I don't share. And that's how I feel about pain and mourning and grief. That there are some things that I don't understand that he keeps secret because they're just that precious to him. We don't have to have all the answers. And we don't always have to make stuff up. And at Calvary, we want to help you in the confusing in between. If you feel like you're losing the battle with grief, Calvary Cares is a ministry that we have here that can help you navigate. And you'll see... The information up on the screen, you can text Calvary Cares at 972-898-3311 and there will be someone there on the other end of that text or on the other end of that phone who can help you. We've got counselors at all different levels to help you walk through this journey so that you're not walking through it alone. And for parents specifically, moms, dads who have lost a baby, There's also a ministry and an organization that was birthed right here at Calvary called MEND.org. MEND, M-E-N-D, Mothers Enduring Neonatal Death. For moms and dads who have lost a baby, whether stillbirth, miscarriage, or infancy, sometimes they're the forgotten group. They're not seen as moms yet, but they're moms. If you're walking through this type of loss, we've actually got a garden right here on our property, I don't know if you're aware of it, that overlooks our little lake. You can sit out there and reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. You know, the amazing thing about that time of that in-between waiting is what God does in us during that time. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary and they'll walk and not faint. And as we wait on the Lord, he gives us grace for what we need. He gives us the word of God, he gives us the spirit of God, and he gives us the people of God. Finally, number three, let the old birth the new. What makes the sting of loss hurt so much is its finality. But when we allow God to tend to our souls through the loss, he actually enlarges our souls. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And we make room for his restoration. Job's former life made room for an even more abundant latter life. Everything that had been stolen from him was eventually restored. Twice over. Not simply tangible things, but Job's revelation of the kindness and nature of God. Remember when I said that early on, he said the Lord gives and takes away, but later on, he said, I misspoke. 
God restored to Job an understanding, a greater understanding, twofold, twice as much. He had a greater understanding of the nature, the goodness of God. And now that we've recognized that God is the giver and not the taker, that he's the restorer and not the destroyer, we can clearly see that no matter what loss we endure, it wasn't God who took it. It's not God who steals, but it's God who gives. He restores. Romans 8, 28 remains true. And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all things, even the worst of the worst, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me close by giving you the rest of Job's story quickly. When Job lost everything and was told to curse God and die, because that was the fantastic advice from his jacked up friends and family, just curse God and die already, just end this misery, just curse him. Job refused, and instead he responded to God in faith. Job 42.10, this is the end. This is what, this is what we hear. This is our, our theme verse. So the Lord restored to Job what he'd lost. And the Lord doubled all that had belonged to him. He restored what he had lost and doubled it. If the devil's given you one trouble, then for that one trouble, you can expect to receive at least double. And God doesn't restore to you the same amount that you've lost. I'm not saying it's a perfect equation, but you do always get more than before. If not in quantity, then in quality. You'll be at a higher place than before. You'll be healthier, wiser, financially stronger. You'll be more at peace. This was the case with Job. Satan was behind Job's problems, but when Job responded in faith, God took it upon himself to restore to Job all that he'd lost. The Bible tells us, listen to this, that Job received double in terms of quantity. I'm talking quantity right now. Job went from 7,000 sheep to 14,000, 3,000 camels to 6,000, 500 oxen to 1,000. Okay, he's doubling, 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 doubling. 500 donkeys to 1,000 donkeys. And for the children that he'd lost, let me speak to that. In Job's case, God did give him children again. He had had 10 children before, and God gave him 10 children again. Children will never be replaced. I'm not going to stand here and tell a parent, your child can be replaced. Before I had my daughter, I miscarried. And I'm grateful that since that miscarriage, I've had two priceless children. Did they replace that baby that I lost? Never. Never. Did he restore what was lost? Yes. What do I mean? When you miscarry or lose a child, at any stage of life or you lose whatever. There are moments you think you will never heal, never feel joy, never feel love, never. You'll never feel peace, you'll never feel whole, you'll never find another anything again. God restores, God restores. Child cannot be replaced. God did not replace Job's children, but he, re he restored Job's heart. Moms, dads, if you're sitting here today, your hearts will be restored. The joy, you'll, you'll find joy again. If Job, who wasn't under the new covenant, could be blessed with double for his troubles, how much more 
We who are under the new covenant in grace, in fact, God won't just restore double, but triple, fivefold, sevenfold. Hey, 30, why don't we go 60? How about 100? More than before. It's never, ever, ever God's desire that his children feel the pain of a broken world. It breaks his heart deeply. And today I wanna to pray for those of you who may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus is right here with you today. If this is you today, if you're walking through loss, either the loss of a child or the loss of a relationship, for those that are mourning the loss of something, I wanna include those that are dealing with the loss of a service member in the military that we've all watched on the news this week and we, we're here and we feel helpless. Or for those that are dealing with a storm, a literal hurricane, a state away and we, what do we do? We're gonna pray is what we're gonna do. But for right here, right now, in this room, for those of you watching online, if you are dealing with the grips of grief. I wanna pray for you today. Bow your head, close your eyes. Father, I thank you that if anyone understands the loss of a son, it's you. I thank you, Lord, that you are our comforter. You're the great I am. I thank you, Father, that you say if we feel like we have been kicked in the gut, the wind literally knocked out of us, that you are our breath. As we're suffocating under that grief, I pray, Lord, that you would minister to hearts, broken hearts, for those families that have lost a baby or a child who literally cannot see beyond this moment in time. I pray, Lord, that you would surround them. I pray, God, that you would give them what they need in this very moment. I pray for those that have, are grieving the loss of a relationship or a marriage or the loss of finances or a home or their health. I pray God that they would lean into what they're dealing with right now and that they'd process with health. That you would take them on a journey that they would not stay stuck in where they're at right now. I thank you, Lord, that you are the God who restores all things. I just speak over them blessings today that they will not stay where they're at, but God, that you would give them hope that Lord, you're taking them through their grief onto bigger and better things, Lord. For those that have lost a mother or a daughter or a husband, a son in Afghanistan and all that's going on there, the church, the underground church is facing threats for their lives. For those in Louisiana, even right now, I pray protection over them around the world, the next state over. I pray, God, that you would keep your hand upon them. We thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for generosity today in this house. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do through our hands, that we would be the feet and the hands of Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen. Come on, y'all, let's thank our lead pastor. Grief is real. Experiencing loss, it is painful. But I think Pastor Kim just did an amazing job of helping us navigate. Is that true? Clap your hands one more time. That was powerful. Could not have said it better. Well, just so you know, right, uh, before we dismiss today, we're going to open up the front and give you an opportunity to receive prayer from our pastors and elders. If you just want to simply come forth and just pray with someone, we will be available to pray with you today. I want you to consider a couple things as we prepare for generosity. Let's locate Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. I want to read verse 25 first. It says, the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. I love this scripture. This is really a confession of how if you take on the nature of a good father, eventually you're gonna be just like him. How many know that our father is a 
giver. He was generous, so generous that he gave. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave. And his giving created the greatest impact known to man. Well, just like our good father, we've got an opportunity to make an impact in the earth through our generosity. Some of us were growing in grace. We're all growing in grace. Many of you, you have been faithful for quite some time. And you're literally known for your generosity because you have elevated in this area. But there's some others you're growing in this area. You have not seen or you have maybe not experienced. Maybe your level of faith has not been stretched to a certain dimension to allow that elevation to take place. But guess what? We're growing in grace together. And sometimes when you're growing in grace, you need to see something. You need to hear. Faith comes by hearing. Well, we've got a special report today, and my prayer is that when you hear this report, it will ignite and stir up faith that is in you so that we can all as a family take on this opportunity to be generous. Right after the video, I want those that are online, I want you to know that we love you, and we're so glad that you were with us today. But after the video, Pastor McCance is going to take over and he's going to walk you through some things to help you prepare for your generosity. Calvary, I want you to listen and I want you to see something from my pastor's heart. Take a look at the big screen. Hey, Calvary family. I'm in the middle of taping today for our fall season of Gospel Circles. But I had to stop and uh, give you a major update. I'm so proud of you, church. I just received word from Family First here in North Texas, one of our, our partners in Calvary. You were selected as Champion Church of the Year. Wow. Scripture is clear. God has a special place in His heart for children, especially children in the foster care system, children who have been abandoned, children who have been left alone, children who have been forgotten. Last year, we made a decision, no matter what's going on around us, we're gonna keep our eyes on what's most important because we know God's given us His heart. And so we've responded as a church. Family First is one of our many partners. We've stayed faithful this year, giving the first 10 of everything to ministries just like this. And because of your generosity, they're calling you champions. Because this year you've helped so many in the Metroplex and beyond. Find forever families. You've helped so many receive care, and support, and love just because of your generosity. And some of you have even been willing to take in children. So I say a big thank you and I say this, Continue your generosity. You're making a significant difference. If you haven't given, go to the Calvary Church app. Go to the website, calvarychurch.cc and give. Set up your reoccurring giving. We give because we get to take this gospel, good news, to places everywhere. So church, you're a champion. Thank you. Wow. What a powerful message full of grace and freedom from our very own Pastor Kim. Know that we are here for you as a church. And if you were blessed by today's message, let us know by emailing us at online at calvarychurch.cc. Also, we cannot do what we do without your generosity and the Calvary family. It's not too late to give on our app and website towards the mission and vision of Calvary Church to declare and demonstrate the gospel to everyone. You can give now on the Calvary app or on calvarychurch.cc. Before I pray, I just want to share a scripture with you. Proverbs 11:25 says this, whoever gives to others will be rich. Those who help others will themselves be helped. Basically saying this, when you give, it's an act of faith. It, it, it ignites and it's one of the biggest ingredients to receiving what God has for you. So I just want to encourage you with this. Give and be a generous giver. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every giver. I thank you for everyone tuning in right now, God. I just declare peace and protection, provision over every single listener, God. I thank you, Father, that they have the Holy Spirit, God, the great comforter in them. And I just pray right now that favor be on their lives and on their family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
truly enjoyed worshiping with you today. And we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday in person at one of our Calvary locations. We love you so much, church, and we will see you next week. God bless. We encourage you to live generously and give generously. You can do that right there, online on our app by searching and downloading Calvary Church CC. You can give on our website or you can text to give by texting Calvary IRV, followed by the amount to 77977. And I encourage you to set up your recurring giving. Calvary, let's remain consistent and faithful in the face of inconsistency.